Well, good morning and welcome to Perspectives from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Flanagan. You are always welcome to join in the conversation wherever it may lead at 850-414-1234. Yes, we are taking a break from the pledge drive to bring you information about a new initiative that is going on. Actually, not all that new. It's been floating around for quite some time because what we're going to talk about is a plant that has been part of the American landscape for many, many centuries. And in fact, there have been big changes in not just the growing of that herb, weed, some people might call it, uh, but that uh, um, arboreal over the past uh, several years, because I am old enough to remember uh, not when it was actually cultivated by folks like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, but I can remember when its psychoactive variant was widely considered to be a primary source of uh, criminal intent in this country. And a lot of personal friends of mine from way, way back in the day, um, when radio was powered by coal-fired uh, transmitters, um, actually wound up incarcerated for using said psychoactive plant. That is undergoing a change right now. And we even saw during the past week that there is a, a, a federal initiative that could potentially decriminalize marijuana, which again is the psychoactive variant of hemp. But in the non-psychoactive world, hemp has been hailed by many as a potential source of great economic opportunity. And we are here to talk about that today on this edition of Perspectives because it's in anticipation of an event that will be happening a little bit later on, like specifically April 27th and 28th here in Tallahassee, the uh, revival of the 850 Hemp Summit, where farmers and stakeholders and cultivation and production folks and economic development people and policymakers will be talking about the current status and challenges and opportunities for the emerging market. Uh, for the aforementioned cultivated product that we're talking about. So let's meet our panel. Let's do that. Uh, first, we say hi to Leon County Commissioner Kristen Dozier. And in full disclosure, also a mayoral candidate here in Tallahassee. But we're going to talk hemp policy today. So, uh, Commissioner, good to see you. Good morning, Tom. Very happy to be here and excited for the conversation. I am excited as well. And you have brought some experts in the field, literally the field of cultivating hemp. Uh, Ryan Kelly of Mobile Hemp Drying Company. Ryan? Hey, How man. are you? Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. It is good to have you too. And uh, also Travis Green of New Green Organics, with a K, North Florida Hemp Farms. Hey, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. Well, let's first get this out of the way, and we'll revisit it as we go throughout the program. But the 850 Hemp Summit, I believe that there was one before the pandemic, was there not? Yes, Tom. Um, the 850 Hemp Summit was hosted, the first one, in October of 19, and it's hosted by the Appalachia Regional Planning Council. Um, I serve as chair this year and last for the, or for the Planning Council, and we started a conversation actually just after Hurricane Michael and the um, Farm Bill passed, which legalized industrial hemp in October of 18. 
just weeks after Hurricane Michael, in fact. And we started a discussion about what the potential could be for economic impact in the North Florida region. So we worked, um, it actually was a three-month turnaround, and we hosted a fantastic summit in October of 19, over 200 participants, and we had a great conversation we were going to do it again, but the pandemic interrupted us. So we are really looking forward to this year's summit at the end of April. Well, I, I do recall, too, also when the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services under its current commissioner, Nikki Freed, who, again, in full disclosure, is also running for governor of Florida, um, kind of put forth hemp as, if not the salvation, certainly a great addition to the cultivated inventory here in Florida. You could do so much stuff with this plant, and it seemed like we were on a upward trajectory to get all of that done. So I don't know. Travis, you're, you know, you have hemp that you're growing right now. How is that working out for you first? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's a tough plant to grow. So a lot of people like to say that um, you can just throw the seeds on the ground and They'll kind of sprout up magically like a weed, um, but it's not typically the case, um, especially in Florida. Florida is a, a tricky climate to grow in, so we've had a few years to kind of learn the uh, the climate, the humidity, the heat, the rain, the bugs. Um, so it's going better than last year, um, but we are definitely learning and making new strides on how to grow it here in Florida. So. Yeah, it is not your typical, I don't know, like you said, just a, a toss it out there and boy, it springs right up. It takes a great deal of actual cultivation and tender loving care for this stuff to do what it's supposed to do. Yes. Yeah. And it's it, honestly, it starts with soil preparation. You know, it, everything starts with the soil. You know, you want a good uh, living soil uh, to help the plant grow and uptake nutrients and, um, you know, from there, you just got to take care of it by hand. I think that a lot of people want to grow hemp on an industrial level because of the monetary gains. But I think that um, small scale agriculture is definitely the solution. OK, so after then you you grow it, Travis, you have to hand it off then for additional processing. And I don't know, Ryan Kelly, is that where you kind of jump in? <laughs> At first, you got to get the moisture out of the stuff. right? That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So we come on site and we dry for the farmers, um, everything's done on site and it speeds up the process for them, gets it you know quicker to market, all that. Um, and we did a bunch of research and testing with ACS Labs uh, in Florida to, to test our drying methods, right, versus a traditional hang drying approach, which takes anywhere from you know 14 to 21 days to dry typically, and then another 14 to 21 days to cure, and then it would be ready to go to market, right? So we can take at least the first part of that the drying and speed that up without any negative impact to the plant, terpenes, anything at all. Okay, um, but but it's not like the old like you know shade tobacco thingy where you hang it in a barn and you know no, a couple not, of weeks later, hey, not it's down done. here, not okay. in Florida, unfortunately. Um, for uh, selfishly, fortunately, but but unfortunately <laughs> for the greater, um, or for the masses, I should say. Um, so the heat and humidity is is going back to what Travis said is is a killer, especially in the drying phase. So you get, you know, you're trying to hang dry it in a tobacco barn or, or like they do out in Colorado, you know, it's, what is it, 60 there during the drying season, let's say, 60 and, I don't know, 40% humidity. That's wonderful. We don't have that here in August. So that's a pretty intensive thing then. You have to actually help the process along. Actively. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we pull up uh, on site. Um, so we lease our dryers out to our farmers. We pull up and we set them up, train them up on it. 
and then they go from there. Use it as much as you want. Um, and when the, the rental or lease is over, we come and pick it up and clean it and on to the next farm. Okay. Well, you talked also about the market. So, Commissioner Dozier, what is the market for hemp right now? Because, again, everyone was touting this as the big solution. Oh, my gosh. Hurricane Michael destroyed your timber. Clear it out. Put in hemp. It's going to be great. We'll all make tons of money. Yes. Has it happened? Well, um, in the beginning, I think a lot of folks shifted from uh, the medical marijuana side into the CBD. And there are some different, um, you know, ways that you might grow that. Some people grow it indoors, others, and these guys are the experts. So I'm going to leave some details to them. But what we have focused on since the beginning is the industrial fiber side. And that's when you hear people talking about paper products or replacement products for construction from wood to um, hempcrete, concrete, all different types of applications. And we're even seeing some companies use it um, in batteries. Um, I know there's a few vehicles, EV vehicles, that have replaced some copper with some hemp. So there, I mean... I think I've heard it said a lot of times there's over 25,000 applications of the industrial hemp fiber. I'm not sure we really know and understand all of those applications right now um, from fiber to construction projects products. But I think what's really significant is people are using hemp fiber for each of those applications and they're testing it. And so it really shows that the R&D potential and if we can get the stock and the seeds correct for our region, um, we can, and this is our big focus at the Planning Council, we want to have a regional economy that is from farm to the factory. So we can grow it, dry it, process it or decord, and then manufacture. And there will be an R&D component. And I think we're perfectly positioned in our region to capture the agriculture all the way through that R&D with the phenomenal universities we have at FAMU and FSU um, and others across the region. So we are at a tipping point. We're learning a lot. And I think it's important to remember we are we eradicated our knowledge. We eradicated the seeds um, in the last century. So we are reclaiming a lot of this. But other people in the world, other countries, have been using hemp fiber for a long time. So um, we've got some stock and people are working on the genetics, and I think it's really going to take off in our region. Are you thinking like even Florida A&M University, which has its background in agricultural research? Uh, you know, you think of the viticulture uh, facility out there on Mahan and all of that could jump into this and say, hey, we can come up with varietals that will be specific to this area and give you maximum yield and all that kind of thing? Well, actually, even before the um, Farm Bill passed in Congress in 2018, um, University of Florida and Florida A&M both were designated by the state to be able to do that type of research on the seeds. And we will have some of those folks from both UF and FAMU at the summit to talk about that. What I think is also interesting is we see some folks in the private sector working on the genetics as well and using seeds from different places in the world and kind of combining them. And again, I'm going to look to my um, colleagues here to uh, get into the details there. So we have the public sector, the universities, and the private sector working on that seed stock. And you see people already getting into this space. So as soon as we have something that grows really well in our region, I think it's going to take off. We're talking about 
hemp on an industrial scale and how that could be a contributor to the area's economy and jobs and all of those things which are so critically important right now. And we would love to hear from you and get your input on perspectives from WFSU Public Media. You can give us a call, 850-414-1234, or zip us an email, perspectives at wfsu.org. We'll be right back. Back on Perspectives, talking about hemp and the production thereof and what you can use this stuff for besides. Yeah, yes, the obvious. Uh, so many of us uh, refugees from the 1960s who barely recall what happened then. But we remember that much. Hey, Perspectives is always available online at WFSU.org. We archive each show in its entirety, and you can typically get it about a day after it actually appears on the radio online so you can listen to it over and over again. Ryan Kelly of Mobile Hemp Drying Company, uh, Commissioner Dozier just indicated that there are multiple varieties of hemp uh, that can be more finely attuned to different areas. And while we were in break, you mentioned that there is a new uh, variety that you encountered here just a couple months ago that seems to be going like gangbusters. Talk about that. Right. So, so yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and we got, we have, um, I guess the best place to start was, was my partner and I, who he does all of the plant stuff. And I do all of the business stuff, so we have a great symbiotic relationship <laughs> there. Okay, a little dad joke for you. Um, but we have uh, Optimized Genomics is the name of our company, and we are um, focused on research and development of industrial varieties for our climate, right? So all through Florida um, and the southeast. And we happen to come across a incredible, um, uh, I guess, species, or, or it's not a species, it'd be a chemovar, but uh, that works very well in our Climate. Um, we had we've had up to fifteen foot trees. I like to call them jokingly. They're not obviously, um, but that is a, um, a direct indication of what you know we'll be capable of here in, in the not too distant future in Florida and as Florida. You know we have uh, a, a strong belief at Optimized Genomics that everybody should have access to this plant because of its capabilities. Right. Not only are there textiles and you know construction equipment, but there's geopolymers. I mean, all it can replace all of your petroleum based products. It's wild. I mean, we can, we can actually, I guess, re, reinvigorate. That's a word. Is that a word, guys? Reinvigorate uh, the you know domestic fuel economy with this. I mean, you can make re- renewable fuels out of this instead of digging into the ground and removing, you know, th- something that's taken millions of years to to form. You can grow it on the surface and harvest it four times a year. But is there any, any danger that again, like with so much agricultural? seed stock, you have major companies like, uh, oh, I don't know. Monsanto. <laughs> yeah, Monsanto, you know, ADM, so, those to come in and just say, no, 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 we've, we've got it. We patented it. And now you guys got to pay us to get the seeds. And don't you ever dare try to cultivate any on your own. They absolutely could. I mean, that's, you know, that's what they've done, you know, to date almost. But, I, you know, in my opinion, and in our opinion, our view of it would be that, you know, they're, they're kind of the 
the big old guys in the business, and I say big and old, old meaning established, not in a negative sort of way, but they're not they're not on the cusp of or the fringe, if you will, of of progress per se. They're that tried and true. You want you know seedless watermelons? They got them. You know, um, as far as you know, aren't I think we're still a few years out uh, from something like that happening, um, but it is inevitable. Well, oh, that is still public policy stuff. And Commissioner Dozier, is is that something that could maybe put the kibosh on some of this development? Is that you have major corporations coming in saying, "Nope, nope, this is ours. Can't have unless you pay." I think it's something that we need to be absolutely aware of and cautious of. And quite frankly, from a public policy standpoint, I would hope we would prevent against um, that kind of move in the future. If you think about Florida, a lot of people are familiar with on the medical side, we have what we call vertical integration. Um, You have to have, you have to grow it, process it, sell it, and there's a limited number of permits and it locked out a lot of people from that industry. On the hemp side, you need a permit to grow it. And you may need to certify something through Fresh from Florida or something else like that. But um, but it really is open to all types of farmers and particularly, you know, small farmers or people who are getting into this space. And that's as it should be. Um, I am glad that, I, as Ryan said, I think um, the, the bigs are not really as interested in this yet on the agriculture side. But we see a lot of really big companies looking at um, bioproducts for a replacement for packaging or something else like that. There's a lot of interest in this. Um, there was a group that came together recently. They report a lot of big companies, including Walmart, um, focused on packaging and trying to replace that with some kind of, um, you know, more sustainable product. Hemp can be a good replacement for that. Um, so there is a lot of public policy issues that we need to address. You mentioned at the top um, the issue with decriminalization and other factors like that. Certainly that has an impact on the hemp market because if a um, crop goes hot, it has too much THC, um, may not be able to use that. It may be eradicated. There are some seeds that may not go hot or you know may not be able to, so that's really good. But we need other legislation, other public policy to help people really get into this market. Well, let's see. Travis, talk about that, if you would, that how do you keep seeds from going hot? Is You, you just get a bunch of hemp seeds and a certain percentage are going to have an elevated THC level that technically – you know, gives them an illegal smile, if I can use a John Prine line there. Yeah, so um, certain strains are kind of developed to have low THC content. Um, It seems to me in my experience that there's a ratio there. You know, once a plant produces a certain amount amount of one cannabinoid, the other cannabinoids kind of follow to a ratio. Um, so it's, it's important, uh, people, you know, people like Ryan are, are doing work in genetics there. It's important what they're doing because we're keeping, you know, the, uh, security of, of farmers like myself kind of there, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, low stress techniques, um, are, are good when you're growing, um, because you, you don't risk like, you know, going over that THC content, um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a learning process. Yeah. For but sure. you, you got to monitor this all the time just to make sure, right? Absolutely. So we do testing throughout the year, um, with, with, we, we, uh, specifically use ACS labs and, um, we just monitor. And as the plant kind of gets close to that compliance level, then that's when we know we need to harvest. 
And what happens to the the bad plants? What do you do with them? <laughs> so we fortunately we haven't had any bad plants yet, um, but those uh, are supposed to be uh, destroyed. Destroyed. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Or alternatively, you could buy seeds that have no THC in them. Right. So and that's what we're working on is a zero percent. Uh, fiber genetic for industrial applications, right? So, what if you didn't have to worry about what if you didn't have to worry about that plant going hot? How cool would that be? That would that would be fantastic. If it um, didn't be- affect anything else of the plant, obviously, right? Yeah, because that's a major concern. Obviously, you know, like Kristen was saying, it's it's the hemp industry is kind of open for anyone to get into, and so it's it's um, it's a, it's a great industry to get into. Great for people to uh, to make some money in. Uh, and just livelihood, you know, farming is a really uh, amazing occupation to get into. You're in the sun, you're working in the dirt, and it's a humbling career path. <laughs> so there's some good lessons to be learned. Um, and but you know, growing it, and and I think the a big barrier getting into it is that people don't want to uh, their crop to go hot and to waste all of the time and money that they've spent getting into it. So yeah, zero THC would be fantastic, and be I think really it would cool. eliminate a lot of the barriers for people getting into the industry. Yes, yeah. paging Gregor Mendel, but there is a way to to do that. Then isn't we there, have, Ryan? We currently have we're, we're we're finalizing it for scaling for production for you know seed distribution and sales. Um, but we have we've developed a chemovar that's incapable of producing THC, so it, it does not have the THC synthase in it to go from. CB, so, uh, this is getting a little deep into the science, so I'll, I will withhold. But <laughs> can't produce THC, can't go hot, um, and we are bulking up productions now to start distribution for it for farmers, so they can have access to it and not have to worry about it. Because if you, if you're, you know, you, you tell me, uh, Travis, is that sort of always in the back of your mind, like, ooh, you know, oh, maybe it's going to go hot, or not really? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a concern, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, as long as you're using good, stable genetics, you can kind of just focus on the grow and and yeah, yep. just kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, that's what, and so we're stabilizing all of our, our genetics now. Um, so it'll be good. We'll uh, we'll be ready hopefully middle of the summer start distributing. Um, but again, it's industrial, so it's a little different from what you're doing. Um, dare I say, easier, <laughs> a little less. Um, love involved, kind of more of that commercial ag style. And and in my opinion, this is what um, uh, our ag commissioner uh, was talking about when she said, you know, this is for all the farmers in Florida and it will save the, the Florida economy. Um, in my opinion, that she was, you know, thinking more of this. And just like Commissioner Dozier said, you know, when you have the, the MMTC guys come in and then everyone's like, oh, we can grow hemp now. And hemp flour is was a big thing and you know everyone started growing it and had a tough time and all that it's it's a little more time consuming than the fiber side of or the industrial side of things you know yeah but once you have these issues kind of essentially put to bed and you increase the production of the type of hemp that you want to have how do you keep the production of the products that you derive from that plant domestic and not offshore. We grow a lot of cotton just to the uh, north of us here, but very little of it is converted into clothing or any other consumer products here. It is offshore and it's made and it comes back and then we buy it. How do you do? stop doing that? 
That's a really critical point, Tom. And I, I want to say up front, we are talking about diversifying crops, not replacement crops for anything in the region, but this can really diversify, and we could get back to that in a minute. But what we've really been focusing on is the farming and the seed stock, and that is critically important, and the drying, which is the first step. But we absolutely need processing or decord facilities in this region. Um, what I have learned, and I have learned a tremendous amount from talking with folks like uh, Ryan and Travis and others over the last few years, um, most processing facilities are located within 100, 150 miles of the farms. It's not cost effective to ship that raw product uh, you know, across the ocean for sure or even to other states necessarily. So if we can get some processing facilities in our region, and as we scale up, we could actually support multiple processing facilities, particularly for the fiber side, and there's different types of facilities for different applications. And then if we get our regional focus together, and this is where the planning council comes in, really engaging with our economic development partners, with our chambers, with our business community, we want to attract those businesses or grow the businesses from entrepreneurs that will manufacture products here in our region. And the cost will be lower if we can grow it, process it, and manufacture it right here. And again, if the R&D is happening at our universities, this is great synergy for the whole region. And in the tri-state area, we've got a lot of people in Alabama and Georgia who are interested in this as well. Well, there is one enterprise that is up in... Uh Bainbridge, Georgia. Yes. Okay. And I think it was a Miami entrepreneur who set that thing up. And they grow flax and have converted the flax into product containers that you don't have to recycle. They decompose. They go back to essentially plant or vegetable-based material, and uh, they can even apparently program it. So, oh, I don't want my my bottle of Coca-Cola to, uh, you know, fall apart on the shelf. But as soon as you finish with it, I don't know if like a little timer starts, but it will then uh, become sustainable because it'll go back to its basic uh, vegetable form. I was just talking with someone this last weekend about that company, and they are interested in other bio um, products to, to feed into their supply. So um, I think that's going to be um, an area that we see a lot of development in. And if we think about the environmental side of this, um, just replacing the plastics, um, we know it's not just cutting out the petroleum. But if we think about how much plastic is going into the ocean, particularly for a coastal state, how much we spend on landfilling all of our waste, this is a cost savings and an environmental savings for everyone. So this hemp fiber can really be a replacement crop for a lot of these types of um, products that are really giving us challenges right now. So getting into it now could help us in a lot of ways on the environmental side while it's also just good business. we got to get that supply chain um, established for sure, and there's people on the national and international side and in Florida working on that. But the potential, that's why we're all so excited. It's not just good business. It's not just got jobs. But it's something we critically need right now to address a lot of the environmental concerns that we're facing in the state and around the country. What about supply chain issues since we have seen – particularly since the beginning of the pandemic, that we are susceptible to all kinds of interruptions there. And it makes a lot more sense to 
produce and manufacture locally than it does to have all of these interconnected spider webs that the least little thing can break and mess you up. Absolutely. Well, when you mentioned cotton earlier, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure people understand how much, and this goes for products around the world, you might catch a fish in one area, but then it's going to be shipped someplace else for processing or grow cotton in one area and it's shipped someplace else. Our supply chain, I mean, that's, that's the crunch that we're really facing right now. So if we can focus this, and it's not just our region, different regions of the country are going to specialize in different types of products or be able to grow their own. We're going to see businesses grow up around that. Um, and maybe when we get to a critical mass after it's processed, it's going to one factory for manufacturing in different areas depending on their need. But the onshoring and dealing with the supply chain issue is a huge piece of this puzzle. And it will help us a tremendous amount. And I'm I'm hopeful. And there's really no silver linings to the pandemic. I got to say that. It's hard to even use that phrase. But since we're all so much more focused on the supply chain, I mean, we're talking about it more than ever, and it's impacting us individually. Um, I'm really hopeful that this conversation about what industrial hemp can do can really help people make some of these connections and you know, support this industry development in North Florida and other places. And, and Travis Green, does that help more people jump into the cultivation, the farming of hemp? If you have, my gosh, uh, a whole network of local manufacturers who really want the product. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I think that's, uh, that's why you, you, you don't see um, more people getting into it is because that, that infrastructure is not there yet. You know, we don't have decortication facilities, um, we don't have a lot of places that are turning the CBD uh, fiber um, biomass into oil. You know, there's just um, – it's not quite there yet. Um, but once that infrastructure does come to the area, I think you will see a lot more people getting into it. And I'm really excited about the fiber uh, sector as well because, um, like Kristen was saying, that's going to really revolutionize, you know, reduce our dependency on plastics and oils and um, – you know, car, uh, hemp is a great carbon sequester, so it actually sequesters carbon. Uh, it improves soil health. So, I mean, there's just many, many benefits to the to the hemp plant. And you don't have to worry about billions of tons of it winding up in the middle of the Pacific Ocean either. Exactly, and not contributing to the garbage patches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're talking about hemp here on uh, Perspectives from WFSU Public Media, and we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts on it or questions or concerns. And again, a plug which we will get more into here on the other side of this rapidly upcoming break about the 850 Hemp Summit, which is going to be taking place at the... Uh, Civic Center, April 27th and 28th, where all of the folks regionally who are involved in the uh, cultivation or the solicitation for manufacturing or other aspects of the business are going to be gathered to uh, yak for an entire two-day period. And um, there is an open event, too, for the public to show up to see what the potential may be for this as far as economic development and the other things we're talking about. Perspectives right here on WFSU Public Media. A quick timeout. We shall return.
850-414-1234 Perspectives. Or if you were uh, just cranking along on a spreadsheet and you don't have time to call, you can always uh, zip us an email. Just open up that window and pop us a line at perspectives at wfsu.org. Okay, Ryan Kelly, let's uh, talk a little bit here about uh, this ongoing connection between the cultivation and the processing and the final manufacturing of consumer-grade products and all this. Obviously, you think that this is going to be a, if not a major trend, certainly a lot more robust a market than we're looking at right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just if you just look at the, the possibilities of, or I guess the applications uh, alone that this plant can be used in, it has to be almost, right? I mean, there's thousands and thousands of uses for this across thousands of industries. I mean, it's, you know, it's wild. I mean, even for example, you know, but look at like bioremediation and the capabilities. Talk about carbon sequestration like Travis talked about. Um, you know, you, you've got, you have the ability for this plant to suck all the bad stuff out of the ground, right? And sequester it or keep it. And so you can then either take it and throw it away, burn it, whatever you want to do to get all that, whether it's heavy metals or, or some sort of toxins or something like that. If, or, you know, it's been, Research is going on now on brown sites where you can't live, do anything, build nothing. They're planting these plants and they're seeing a tremendous improvement in the soil quality there, you know, and that lends, uh, I guess, the, you know, the use of this plant in a regenerative soil system um, is sort of what lends to that aspect of it as well. You know, you've got... I mean, I can go on. I can nerd out with you guys for hours on this, right? Yeah, now. but it sounds like it sounds like the bivalve of the plant world. It's a filter feeder, essentially. It really is, and and the cool, you know, one of the cool things that stuck out to me in that aspect is is that you can actually, you know, go mining for these whatever the these compounds are that you've sucked out of the ground. So if it's a valuable compound to someone in some other industry, but it's hurting your other crops that you're growing on your uh, land, you can suck it out with the plant, and then you can actually go in and mine those minerals or compounds out of the plant and put them together and sell them to somebody else. So it's – it's. I mean it's crazy what this plant can do. And we've had 100 years of not knowing all of this, right? So there's been so much that we've been lost to, not only genetics but capabilities and, and applications. And so, you know, we're, we're relearning it. I think it's a little bit of drinking from a fire hose because all the information is kind of out there. Whether it's legitimized or not is a whole different story. And so that's, you know, at least that's what we're trying to do is help bring all this stuff above board, you know, the crazy fringe crazies that stand out on the edge screaming, you know, we could do all this stuff with this plant. Like It's true. It's wild and it's true. But, you know, we need to put it into a package that entrepreneurs and business people and, you know, economic development um, companies can can digest and accept because it has been, you know, there's this sort of – don't talk about this stuff because it's been illegal for, you know, a hundred years. But in reality, it's the basis of a, of a, you know, um, going out on a limb here, but of a civilization, <laughs> truthfully, you know, I mean, this has been cultivated by the Egyptians, even going back that far um, for, for a n- number of uses across the board. So anyway, I get really excited and, and uh, want to talk about all these things, but I will. Uh, well, it must be true. Know. I saw it on TikTok. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline's joining us here on the conversation on Perspectives. Hey, Caroline, thanks for calling. Let's see. Push a button here and we'll bring you on up. Hey, Caroline. Are you there? Let's see. It's the third button to the left. I a disclaimer, I, I don't know much about um, current hemp growing, um, but I was wondering it would be in large amounts and would there be 
an increased use of nitrogen fertilizers, herbicides, and especially in the state of Florida with all our water concerns and algae blooms and increased red tides. I think that's a valid question about what will you use to grow this? Sure. Well, let's talk to a cultivator here. Travis Green, you got some information for Caroline on that? Yes, absolutely. So there are um, standards, you know, um, in terms of growing. Um, You can only use certain types of fertilizers, nutrients, pesticides. There's lots of uh, herbicides, pesticides, nutrients that you can't use, and specifically for that reason uh, to try and, you know, preserve the environment and actually – increase the the health of uh of the environment you know the soil and the earth and everything so um on our farm specifically we use uh organic um amino acid based uh nutrients um and so it kind of helps to uh increase the plant's immune system kind of helps it to uh uptake nutrients and um, as we were saying before it actually improves the soil health um, and it uses less water than uh, crops like cotton and um, and a lot of the other big crops as well. So it's it's a fantastic crop for uh, the environment in general. Well, how do you contain any runoff? How will that be accomplished, or how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's just uh, basically general growing practices. You know, you don't overuse water, you don't overuse nutrients, and that that's going to be up to each uh, specific farmer. Um, because you don't want to give the plants more than they can actually uptake and use. And, right. so, and so that's, you know, that's kind of up to each uh, individual farm to to do that. But I think in general, we've got a, a good group of uh, farmers that are growing in Florida now. So hopefully they can, we can continue that trend. <laughs> good question, Caroline. Yeah. Yeah. Commissioner. I, I would just add to that and bringing in what both tri- uh, Travis and Ryan have said, there are groups right now interested in planting hemp um, around Lake Okeechobee to reduce some of the uh, bad stuff that may lead to algae blooms or other things around um, that's coming off of the current agriculture happening there and other runoff. So it, it not only you know is good farming practices, as Travis is the expert here on that, but people are looking at this as a way to help address some of those challenges that we have from our current agricultural practice. So that's a really interesting space. And again, as you know, Ryan said, we need to do more research, but this is happening right now. There are test crops right now in Florida. So, and there's a lot of interest in bringing that to North Florida as well. To to customize, in other words, the variety of plant for a specific, not just uh, site or uh, environment, but also application. You can have different varieties of hemp to do different things. Absolutely. Um, my partner and I had a phone call uh, yesterday, actually, with a, um, a genetic sequencing company um, and talked to them pretty in depth about identifying what parts of the you know, cannabis genome are responsible for what expressions in different chemovars. And so um, I did less talking than my business partner did on that, but, uh, but I got enough to be dangerous out of it. Um, but, yet, you know, there's, there's not always – it goes back to, the, to, to what we've known, right? So since the 70s, since kind of this um, – the, the illicit market, I think is how we refer to it, the illicit market uh, of, of cannabis has – really, there's only been – five or seven genetics that everything has stemmed from, right? So you have these watered-down genetics now, and this is on the the medical side when it's not being used for medical. (laughs) Um, But you have these watered-down genetics that they're not – 
they need help, right? That's where the, these fertilizers come into play and where these nutrient lines come in that are not organic, that are not, you know, there's there's a tons of different types of them. But, you know, our, our goal is to have something that doesn't require it. You know, we have we have used only rainwater and sunshine with our industrial R&D plots. Um, and so that's our goal is you should be able to throw this thing out and not have to worry about it, not look at it. 90 days, come and check it. 120 days, you're ready to go, you know? So is that going to be the crux of what you're going to be talking about at this summit then, Ryan, is uh, things along that line? How do we modify and and genetically uh, do things to the, these plants so that they do what we really want them to do? Yes, and that, yes, exactly. Hit the nail on the head there. I mean, they have the ability to do all of these different things. Um, so why not, you know, why not figure that out, figure that equation out? And, and, you know, kind of go from there. As you said, there. a long learning curve because we haven't been able to do that because of the uh, the moratorium on any kind right. of research uh, going on there. Uh, for your part here, Travis, so what are you going to be doing at the summit? What, what's going to be your area of concentration, if you will? That's a good question. <clears throat> um, I think mostly just talking about uh, the challenges for farmers getting in and kind of looking to address and solve some of those issues because there are still some pieces to the puzzle that that we haven't really put together yet you know and so um um like ryan's doing uh, a lot of research in fiber uh i'm specifically doing um growing and doing research in cbd and hemp so more for you know uh overall health uh and 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 medical applications uh, and things like that but there's also hemp seed which are a really great food um, <clears throat> a lot of uh, uh, great uh, health benefits to to the uh, hemp seed, and a lot of different applications you can use that for as well. Um, so you know, just just kind of educating people. I think that's um, where the hemp industry is really lacking, <clears throat> not just in Florida, but I think nationwide is that consumer education has fallen behind. Um, and I think a big reason for that is how consistently hemp and cannabis in general is being blocked on social media. So you've got a lot of people that get a large amount of their information from social media, news, uh, you know, facts and figures, <laughs> unfortunately. And so <clears throat> that's where people's eyes are, you know, on their phone. They're, they're, they're on social media. Uh, and unfortunately, you can't really post a whole lot about hemp and cannabis in general on social media without it being – uh, blocked. It doesn't really fit into Facebook and Instagram's algorithm per se. So I think once we address, you know, consumer education uh, on, on a large scale, I think the hemp industry is going to be in a great spot. Well, at the same time, again, you get some federal legislation that's going there that is going to at least ramp down that kind of consideration considerably then. Because, I mean, we still... Florida, you know, medical marijuana, you know, you got a pot shop on every corner, just right. about. Yep. We have what, eight, nine now, I think, in Leon County, Commissioner? I like have lost count, Tom. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yes. You know, and CBD, you know, you can buy it at uh, just about any convenience store. So, I mean, the product is out there in abundance. But that's well, also the flip side of the coin, I think, too, is is that is part of the issue as well. There's zero benchmarks. There's zero regulation on it. Uh, and, I, and I'm not advocating for, you know, more regulation by any means, but there needs to be a standard that's accepted across the board before this really progresses to its, you know, beyond its way to its fullest potential. Yeah. Okay. Um, economic uh, development and all that, the uh, 
Appalachia Regional Planning Council there in yes. force commissioner. And so what are you guys going to be doing as far as specifically the summit's concerned? Well, thank you. And this is a perfect lead in there. I want to give a shout out to uh, Department of Agriculture in Florida and Fresh from Florida. They are they do have a certification process. So um, not knocking any other products, but if you're getting into CBD or something else, look at the labels, look at where it's coming from. Like any others go, you know, we got a lot of great local businesses and businesses around the state. So our emphasis for the summit, both in 19, but really focused this time more on industrial, we will be including um, some folks who are in the retail space for the CBD market, um, Tallulah, local business, but also Pure Native is another one um, that we've, we've engaged. But we will start the day on the 27th of April with um, updates from uh, Florida Department of Agriculture. Our cannabis director, Holly Bell, who has done a phenomenal job setting up this program in recent years and works one-on-one with people. I mean, I think she's helped all of us at different points navigate the space. We will have some folks from the Advisory Council for the state. Um, We'll talk about state state and federal legislation as well. Very, very excited about our keynote speaker. Uh, Jeff Whalen is the chair of the National Hemp Association, and he will be here on the 27th as our keynote. He is not only working in this space and um, working directly on that legislation and has been for years in Congress, but he's also creating an investment fund to help address the supply chain issues that we've talked about just a little while ago. Um, we'll talk with farmers. We'll talk with cultivate, you know, with uh, various people who do drying and you know other aspects, processors. And then on Thursday, the twenty eighth, we're going to get into construction and some other types of application. So <clears throat> we've got um, the president of the U.S. Hemp Building Association um, joining us on Thursday, and you're going to be able to see some products on the expo floor um, and really kind of opening your eyes. So one little plug I want to give, this is this summit is not just for those who are in this space. If you are an entrepreneur, if you're a researcher in town, if you're a business owner who thinks, you know, or a construction company who thinks, how, how are these products going to impact my business? This summit's for you. Um, so we hope people, and there is a website, 850 Hemp Summit. You can go and register. You can find out more, see a list of speakers, and there's going to be a lot more coming in the next couple weeks. So we really hope a lot of folks in the community, but also in the region and throughout the state, join us on April 27th to 28th for the summit at the Civic Center. Commissioner, while you were talking, I was thinking of an analog situation that for many, many years, again, going back to the ancient times, every community in America, regardless of size, had at least one brewery. Mm-hmm. Beer was made locally. And then along came industrialization, along came greater commercialization and corporatization, and suddenly you have the big guns, the Adolf Coors and the Anheuser Bushes and all those folks, you know, and they're great, they're wonderful, but they essentially put the little guys out of business. And you saw the old local breweries being torn down en masse across this country. Fast forward to our time, and suddenly there are these little IPA places that are sprouting up and you've got all of these literal homebrew emporiums that now are producing a fairly significant amount 
of the beer that is consumed in this country. And they are doing it locally, using local supply chains, and creating a lot more jobs than just the people that work in their immediate businesses. Are we looking at the same thing potentially with this? Not only looking at the same thing, but there's a lot of similarity between laws that were imposed during prohibition on alcohol. Um, of course, hemp and uh, marijuana, it was much more extreme than when we repealed uh, prohibition. And we do have alcohol sales. But a lot of those laws remain. I mean, it's been challenging, right, to kind of reclaim that space, not just for beer, but for other um, types of alcohol as well. Um, but at the summit, you will be able to experience a sample, if you choose, of Southern Fields uh, hemp beer. So some of our breweries are actually getting into the beer space. And they're also, you know, they're developing other things. But that's one of the things that you'll be able to experience at the summit is getting a sense of where hemp beer might be going or some of the other consumable products in addition to the fiber applications that we've been talking about. So there are a lot of similarities. Um, this one, and again, you've touched on it before. I mean, the county just had a workshop last week on civil citations for small quantities of marijuana. Um, that did not move forward. We need our uh, state attorney and other partners to join us, and we're not there. But I mention that because the cost associated with the criminal justice system, the impact to lives, and particularly when people can get legal medical marijuana if they can pay a fee for the license or something else, and yet others are arrested for having the same product if they don't have that card. There are so many challenges in that space that we must address, but the incredible benefit to addressing that part of it and decriminalizing for the hemp industry is off the chart. I mean, this is really where we can see the economic impact and the jobs coming in the future. Summit at the Civic Center coming up on the 27th and 28th of uh, April, which is Wednesday and Thursday. Leon County Commissioner Kristen Dozier heading the Appalachian Planning Council. And Ryan Kelly of Mobile Hemp Drawing. Travis Green of New Green Organics and North Florida Hemp Farms. Thank you all for being on Perspectives today. Thanks, Thanks for you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Perspectives produced by WFSU-FM in Tallahassee. Technical assistance there by Evan Rossi today. I'm Tom Flanagan. Chain of Parks Art Festival coming up next week. We will talk about it all right here on Perspectives. Take care.